0: Chapter 9 of Short Stories for Colored People, Both Old and Young, by Silas X. Floyd. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Directions for Little Gentlemen 1. The essential part of good breeding is the practical desire to afford pleasure and to avoid giving pain. Any boy possessing this desire requires only opportunity and observation to become a little gentleman. 2 never be guilty of what are called practical jokes. That is to say, never place a pin in a chair so that somebody may come along and sit on the pin's point. Never pull back a chair when a person is about to sit down, and in that way cause such a person to fall on the floor. No little gentleman will play such tricks. 3. Whenever a lady enters a room, it is proper for boys to rise, if they are seated but you must never offer a lady a chair from which you have just risen if there is another chair in the room four never engage in conversation while the person is singing it is an insult not only to the singer but to the company five always take off your hat when assisting a lady to or from a carriage six if in a public place you pass and repass persons of your acquaintance it is only necessary to salute them on the first occasion. 7. Do not wear anything that is so conspicuous as to attract attention, and particularly avoid the ruffian style. 8. Do not lose your temper, particularly if you are playing innocent games for amusement, and happen to lose. Avoid the exhibition of anxiety or vexation at lack of success. 9. In all your associations, keep constantly in view the old adage, too much familiarity breeds contempt. THE RIGHT TO PLAY The right to play is one of the divine rights of men and women, of boys and girls, and is just as essential to the peace, happiness and prosperity of the world as it is the right to pray. Never be afraid or ashamed, my young friends, of honest, vigorous, healthy play dominoes lawn-tennis baseball football ping-pong golf foot-racing leaping and jumping boxing and wrestling pole vaulting punching the bag swinging dumbbells or indian clubs and a hundred other things are perfectly sane and wholesome amusement for old or young to refrain from all forms of amusement is just as destructive of happiness and injurious to the character as is the extreme of indulging too freely in pleasures and pastimes puritan austerity and unrestrained excess are alike to be condemned but a certain amount of play play of the right kind within proper limits is a divine right of young people young people must have fun and relaxation and if they do not find it in their own homes, it will be sought in other and perhaps dangerous places. For myself, I believe that anybody is an enemy to young people who desires to repress and crush out the naturally buoyant spirits of childhood and youth, and he is a benefactor of humanity who makes it a part of his business to see that proper places of amusement are provided for the young people. Aside from the physical advantages of play, there are moral advantages also. A man who helps to keep his body in good condition by regular exercise is, in that way, beyond a doubt, adding to the number of his days. That is to say, he will live longer than the man who doesn't play. But beyond and above that, he is a happier man while he lives. He gets more joy and satisfaction out of life than the other fellow sane and healthy play tends to blot out the remembrance of cares and hardship it gives our minds something else to think about but young people must be careful not to become absorbed in these things i believe in play i believe in pleasure in fun but when i see young people or old people for that matter devoting all their time to wheeling footballing card parties the giddy whirl of the dance the bacchanalian hilarity of the dram-shop, and so on. I am forced to say that things which might be right when taken in moderation, and as a relief from the overtaxing burdens of life, are wrong when they become the chief object for which one lives. A CHRISTMAS PRESENT A forsaken little kitten wandered up and down the street on the day before Christmas. It had no home, it had no name, it had no ribbon around its neck and it had no saucer of nice milk in one corner. It began to grow dark, and colder, too, and the stars came peeping out, and the first flakes of a real Christmas snowstorm began floating down through the air. The kitten mewed a trembling little mew, which told as plainly as it could that it was very hungry, and it fluffed out its fur to keep itself warm. Now, somewhere along that street, up on top of a house, hiding behind a chimney where he couldn't be seen, was Santa Claus, getting everything in shape before starting on his evening round. When old Santa saw that lonesome little kitten strolling around, he smiled. Yes, old Santa Claus smiled. He smiled because he knew that two blocks up the street a little girl was standing with her nose pressed against the window, looking out into the deepening night. He had seen her as he went by, and he had also seen the poor little supper laid out for two on the table, and heard her say to her mother in a quavering voice, "'Not even one present, Mamma, Not the teeniest little one.' "'No, Susie,' her mother had answered. "'I'm sorry. I couldn't get anything for my little girl this year. But, you know, there wasn't any money, dear.' And there was a tremble in her mother's voice, too. Susie wiped away the tears, and turned to look out of the window." "'Perhaps,' she said to herself, "'perhaps Santa Claus has something for me after all.' Now, the sad, really dreadful part about it was that Santa didn't have a single thing for Susie in his pack. Perhaps it was because she had moved into that house since last Christmas, or perhaps, for once, old Santa had made a mistake. Anyway, he was just saying to himself, "'Why, bless me, what shall I do about it?' when he caught sight of that shivering little kitten." the very thing he thought i'll give them to each other and he chuckled till his reindeer looked around to see what was the matter and what happened next well that kitten never really knew it only seemed as if there was a sudden rush and jingle of bells which frightened it so that it flew up the street as fast as its four little legs would carry it until it saw a small friendly face at a window and rushed up some steps nearby then a door opened and two soft little arms picked it up gently from the cold snow and a voice cried oh mamma see the poor little kitten it is so cold oh we'll keep it won't we mamma the poor little thing do you think it would drink milk would it drink milk what a question to ask about a little kitten while the little kitten was nearly choking itself trying to drink a saucerful of milk and purr at the same time there was a jingle of bells outside, and susie said, Mama, I hear old Santa's bells, and of course, this is the present he brought. The nickel that burned in Frank's pocket. Deacon Hepworth kept a little fish market. Do you want a boy to help you? said Frank Shaw one day. Can you give good weight to my customers and take good care of my pennies? Yes, sir, answered Frank forthwith he took his place in the little store weighed the fish and kept the room in order a whole day for fun fireworks and noise tomorrow! exclaimed frank as he buttoned his white apron about him for the day before the fourth of july a great trout was thrown down on the counter by ned Tand, one of frank's playmates here's a royal trout frank i caught it myself you may have it for ten cents just hand over the money For I'm in a hurry to buy firecrackers, said Ned hurriedly. The deacon was out, but Frank had made purchases for him before, so the dime spun across to Ned, who was off like a shot. Just then, Mrs. Sinclair appeared. I want a nice trout for my dinner tomorrow. This one will do. How much is it? she asked as she carefully examined it. A quarter, ma'am, and the fish was transferred to the lady's basket and the silver piece to the money drawer. BUT HERE FRANK PAUSED. HE THOUGHT TO HIMSELF, TEN CENTS WAS VERY CHEAP FOR THAT FISH. IF I TELL THE DEACON IT cost FIFTEEN CENTS, HE'LL BE SATISFIED, AND I SHALL HAVE FIVE CENTS TO INVEST IN FIRECRACKERS. THE DEACON WAS PLEASED WITH FRANK'S BARGAIN, AND WHEN THE MARKET WAS CLOSED EACH WENT HIS WAY FOR THE NIGHT. BUT THE NICKEL BURIED IN FRANK'S POCKET BURNED LIKE A COAL. HE COULD EAT NO SUPPER, AND WAS CROSS AND UNHAPPY. At last he could stand it no longer, but walking rapidly, tapped at the door of Deacon Hepworth's cottage. The old man was seated at a table, reading the Bible. Frank's heart almost failed him, but he told the story and with tears of sorrow laid the coin in the deacon's hand. Turning over the leaves of the Bible, the old man read, "'He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy.' YOU HAVE FORGIVENESS, FRANK, HE SAID. NOW GO HOME AND CONFESS TO THE LORD, AND REMEMBER YOU MUST FORSAKE AS WELL AS CONFESS. HERE, YOU MAY KEEP THIS COIN AS LONG AS YOU LIVE TO REMIND YOU OF YOUR FIRST TEMPTATION. MONUMENT IN THE CITY OF COLUMBUS, GEORGIA, THERE WAS ERECTED IN THE YEAR 1904 A MONUMENT TO THE MEMORY OF A COLORED MAN NAMED BRAGG SMITH mr smith lost his life in the autumn of nineteen o three in an effort to save the life of the city engineer of columbus who had been buried under an excavation in the street a large crowd of colored men was at work digging deep trenches in which were to be placed pipes for running water about the city in some way the sides of the narrow trench had not been properly supported by planks or otherwise and by and by a great stretch of dirt caved in unfortunately the city engineer a white man was caught underneath the falling dirt bragg smith did not stop to say oh it's a white man let him die but at once jumped down into the ditch and tried to pull the white man from under the heavy dirt it was while he was engaged in his work that the dirt fell from both sides a second time and bragg smith in his effort to save the life of the white man lost his own life the bible says greater love hath no man than this that a man will lay down his life for a friend the city council at its first regular meeting after the accident voted to erect a suitable monument to the memory of mr smith the monument was dedicated in april nineteen o four the monument is of vermont and georgia marbles and bears on one side this inscription erected by the city of columbus to mark the last resting place of bragg smith who died on september 30, 1903, in the heroic but fruitless effort to save the life of the city engineer on the other side appears this quotation from alexander pope honor and fame from no conditions rise act well your part there all the honor lies the bad boy who he is my dear children i am happy to say that all boys who are called bad boys are not bad boys there is quite a difference between a bad boy and a merely mischievous boy a boy is not necessarily bad because he makes unearthly noises about the house or now and then twists the cat's tail just to hear her mew or muddies his clothes in an effort to catch crawfish he is not bad just because he likes to play fantastic on the fourth day of july So many people complain of their boys being bad when they are only mischievous, that is to say, when they are only full of life. Some people think that a good boy is one who has a pale face and looks sickly, one that wears a sanctimonious look and moves along through the world as though he were afraid to put one foot in front of the other. That isn't my kind of a boy. I do not think that that kind of a fellow is a boy at all. He's almost a girl." a boy who never enjoys a romp in the woods who never climbs the apple-tree before or after the apples are ripe who never plays ball who will not shoot marbles etc this sort of a boy usually dies young or he grows up to be a male woman i mean by that that he grows up to be a man who acts like a woman and that kind of man is hardly fit for anything but there are some bad boys i am sorry to say REALLY BAD BOYS, BAD IN HEART AND IN DEED. I HAVE SEEN SOME ON THE CHAIN GANGS. I HAVE SEEN SOME HANGING AROUND THE STREET CORNERS, ESPECIALLY ON SUNDAYS, WITH NO CLEAN CLOTHES ON. I HAVE SEEN THEM SMOKING cigarettes, AND A CIGARETTE IS SOMETHING WHICH NO MANLY BOY WILL USE. I HAVE SEEN THEM IN SALOONS, DRINKING, PLAYING POOL, AND PLAYING CARDS. I HAVE SOMETIMES SEEN THEM SHOOTING DICE IN THE STREET FOR MONEY. There are probably 1,000 boys in the jails, reformatories, and in the penitentiaries in the single state of Georgia. To form anything like an adequate estimate of the total number of bad boys in the South, we must add to the above number the boys imprisoned in the other states, and also that much larger number who have never been imprisoned because they happen never to have been arrested, or who have been arrested and have had their fines paid in money. And finally, we must add those who have already served their time, and are again at large. So you see, there are many thousands and thousands of bad boys in this world, and they are very easily found. Are you a bad boy or a good boy? Isn't it better to be a good boy than to be a bad boy? THE BAD BOY HOW TO HELP HIM Almost anybody can make something out of a boy who is naturally good but it takes one a very Christ-like power and patience to make anything out of a really bad boy. Yet all boys may be reclaimed, reformed, saved, at least so I believe. And the first step in making a good man out of a bad boy has to do with the boy's body. The Bible tells us that our bodies are the temples, the dwelling places of the Holy Ghost, and every boy and every teacher of every boy in the same home or day-school or Sunday-school, should give more time and attention to the body, in order to make it a fit place for such a holy being. It is as true now as of old that plenty of soap and water will exert a wholesome influence in making bad boys good. Someone has said that cleanliness is next to godliness, and somebody has added that soap is a means of grace. A boy who is taught to bathe regularly, and who is taught to keep his clothing neat and clean at all times, will in that way learn the great lesson of self-respect quicker than in any other way. And, in my judgment, the shortest way to the purification of a boy's habits, a boy's morals, a boy's character, is to teach him first to keep his body pure. Keep it pure not only by baths and clean clothes but keep it pure and sweet by keeping it free from whiskey and tobacco in every form exercise regular and systematic exercise whether as work or play will go a great way towards keeping the body clean and healthy every boy is mistaken every parent is mistaken who thinks that labor is unworthy or that any kind of honest work is degrading the body needs to be kept alive and vigorous by the frequent use of all its parts, and there is no better way to keep the body vigorous than by doing some kind of work. Work that requires the use of the hands and legs and muscles. Work that stimulates the blood and makes it flow freely through the body. Another step in the process of making a good man out of a bad boy has to do with the mind. The body grows not alone by exercise but the body grows by what we put into it the food we eat and the water we drink etc we might say i think that the body grows on what it feeds on it is the same way with the mind the mind grows on what it feeds on if we feed our minds on obscene pictures on bad books on vulgar stories told by ourselves or our associates we cannot expect to have minds that are keenly alive and active for good OUR THOUGHTS CONTROL US, BOYS AND GIRLS, WHETHER WE UNDERSTAND THE PROCESS BY WHICH THEY CONTROL OR NOT. OUR THOUGHTS CONTROL US. IF OUR THOUGHTS ARE PURE AND SWEET AND NOBLE, WE WILL BE PURE AND SWEET AND NOBLE. IF OUR THOUGHTS ARE IMPURE, VILE, AND IGNOBLE, WE WILL BE IMPURE, VILE, AND IGNOBLE. OUR THOUGHTS RULE US. SO EVERY BOY SHOULD GUARD WELL HIS THOUGHTS. "'Every boy should guard well what he puts into his mind. "'Every boy's mind feeds on what he puts into it, "'and every boy's mind grows on what it feeds. "'It goes without saying, then, "'that a boy should not read blood-and-thunder detective stories, "'stories about the James brothers and other outlaws and bandits, "'nor should a boy read filthy so-called love stories. "'All such literature should be shunned, "'as a boy would shun deadly poison.' a boy who desires to become a good man should read only those things which will give him confidence in himself that he can and may become a good man good for the service of god and the service of his fellow-men bad company must also be left behind if a bad boy wants to become a good boy those boys who tell smutty jokes and stories should not be allowed to associate with that boy whose eyes have been opened and who wants to feed his mind on good and wholesome food character boys in its last analysis depends chiefly on three things heredity environment and will now you cannot do much to change your inherited tendencies the tendencies you receive from mother and father at birth but you can do much in the offsetting in overcoming these tendencies you can also do much with the aid of a generous and enlightened public to change your surroundings if they happen to be bad i confess that your mothers and fathers your teachers and pastors ought to do much more in this regard than you but if they will not exert themselves to get you out of evil surroundings then as you value your own life and time and possibilities by the help of god try to get out yourselves the will is very largely influenced by your surroundings hence you see the importance of having good books and good associates but whatever you do boys do not forget jesus christ the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world THE HIGHEST PART OF YOUR NATURE IS YOUR SPIRITUAL NATURE, AND, WHILE YOU ARE BUILDING UP THE BODY AND BUILDING UP THE MIND, DO NOT FORGET TO BUILD UP YOUR SOUL. IF OTHERS WILL NOT ASSIST YOU IN THIS GREAT MATTER, YOU CAN HELP YOURSELVES. THE MASTER SAID, SUFFER THE LITTLE CHILDREN TO COME UNTO ME, AND FORBID THEM NOT. THOMAS GREEN Bethune, BLIND TOM I suppose there is not a little colored girl or boy in America who has not heard of the wonderful Blind Tom, one of the greatest musicians of the world. I wish that every boy and girl might have seen him and heard him give one of his remarkable performances with the piano. I had that high favor and privilege myself. During his life on stage, for more than forty years, blind tom was seen probably by more people in the world than any one living being his stage career was closed somewhere in nineteen hundred everywhere in this country and europe those who observed him most closely and attempted to understand him pronounced him a living miracle unparalleled incomprehensible such as had not been seen before in the world and probably never would be seen again thomas green bethune better known to the public as blind tom was born within a few miles of the city of columbus georgia on the twenty-fifth day of may eighteen forty nine he was of pure negro blood and was born blind he was little less than four years old when a piano was brought into the house of his master for he was born a slave as long as anyone was playing he was contented to stay in the yard and dance and caper to the music Sometimes he was permitted to indulge his curiosity by being allowed to run his fingers over the keys. One night the parlour and piano had been left open. Before day the young ladies of the family awoke and were astounded to hear Blind Tom playing one of their pieces. The family gathered around him to witness and wonder at his performance, which they said was marvelously strange notwithstanding that this was his first known effort at a tune he played with both hands and used the black as well as the white keys pretty soon he was allowed free access to the piano and began to play offhand everything he heard as young as he was he soon mastered all of that and began composing for himself the record of his public life is too long for me to give but that blind tom was known and honored around the world is known to everybody but feeling that every colored boy and girl should be justly proud of blind tom's record i will give some words from the book of hon james m trotter himself a colored man his book is called music and some highly musical people he says blind tom is unquestionably the most wonderful musician the world has ever known he is an absolute master in the comprehension and retention of all sound you may sit down to the pianoforte and strike any note or chord or discord, or a great number of them, and he will at once give their proper names, and taking your place, reproduce them. Complete master of the pianoforte keyboard, he calls to us his melodious uses, with most consummate ease, all of its resources that are known to skilful performers, as well as constantly discovers and applies those that are new under his magnetic touch this instrument may become at his will a music box a hand organ a harp or a bagpipe a scotch fiddle a church organ a guitar or a banjo it may imitate the stump speaker as he delivers his glowing harangue, or being brought back to its legitimate tones it may be made to sing two melodies at once while the performer with his voice delivers a third all three in different time and keys all in perfect tune and time and each one easily distinguishable from the other he remembers and plays fully seven thousand pieces some persons it is true have had the temerity to say that blind tom is an idiot out with the idea whoever heard of an idiot possessing such power of memory such finesse of musical sensibility such order, such method, as he displays. Let us call him the embodiment of music, the soul of music, and there let our investigations rest, for all else is vain speculation. No one lives, or, so far as we know, has ever lived, that can at all be compared with him. End of chapter nine.